Welcome to the Winners Win Podcast, the podcast that highlights awesome people in Kansas City and their secrets to success. I'm your host, Jamie Simpson. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of NetStandard right here in Kansas City. At NetStandard, we manage technology so that our clients can focus on growing their business. Today, my guest is Grant Gooding. Grant is the founder and entrepreneur behind Proof Positioning, a research firm that's innovated the way we think about sales. Uh, hi, Grant. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jamie. Uh, well, we're here to talk about your greatness. <laughs> our podcast is called Winners Win. So I want to start with a very simple question. I mm. want you to tell me about the first time you remember winning something. Um, the first time I remember winning something, I think I was in Little League. Yeah. But it's probably not what you think. What sport? Baseball. Baseball. Okay. I struck out and the catcher dropped the ball. Okay. So, what so you got to run? So I got to run. Yeah. They overthrew first. So I ran to second and then I ran to third. They overthrew third <laughs> and then I, um, and then I ran home and I got a strikeout home run. And that oh. is almost exactly how I grew my business. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say that what an interesting takeaway that is for life, right? Like you strike out and you keep going and then you hit a home. Did you win the game? I don't remember. See, isn't that funny? Mm. You never really remember. No. But yeah. Okay. Well, tell me how it relates to your business and tell us about your business. Cause I met you, um, through someone and now I can't remember who, because you did some, they your business did some work for net standard. So tell everybody who doesn't know what your business is. And then we can talk about how you got there. We do market research, not very sexy, but we do, uh, this one thing that's, that's pretty interesting. And that is we, we sort of got, we sort of got lucky strikeout home run situation okay. where we built a system that allows us to measure emotions. So why is that valuable? It's valuable because human beings buy with their emotions. They don't buy with the logic sector of their brain. So all we did was figure that out and build a survey mechanism around it. And now we can tell organizations like yours, uh, what things are most important emotionally, uh, all of all of the things that you do, uh, which things are most important and to whom so that you can sell to them more effectively, communicate with them more effectively, say the right things to the right people. So when you stumbled upon this, what problem were you trying to solve that you discovered this? secret sauce so I was in mergers and acquisitions okay for about five or six years on the law side kind of and then as an analyst and uh, looking at organizations coming together and the integration of two organizations as they come together which is always pretty messy and we had to deal with a lot of market research right there's a lot of analysis that happens in an M&A uh, transaction and the one thing that I thought was always a big hole is no one really uh, did a good job of analyzing the customers in those situations. Why is someone doing it? We know that customers are doing business with these entities. We can measure, um, anyone can measure 
how much money they're spending, the frequency that they're spending money, the services they're buying, and, but they don't really know why. Why are they doing business with you versus another entity? And if you don't know that, you don't really know a whole lot about them. It's kind of like, just because you can measure someone's behavior doesn't mean you understand them. So we said, well, there's gotta be a better way to understand people at scale so that we can help organizations be smarter about understanding them, how to communicate with them, how to build products uh, that they will, they're highly likely to buy. And uh, we couldn't really find anything that did that well. It was always this combination of quantitative analysis and qualitative analysis, and you kind of did your best to put those two things together to come up with a solution, but it's a, it's a very flawed system. So we said, well, what if we could figure out how to quickly and easily assess someone's intent, their intention. Why, when are they gonna buy? Why are they gonna buy? What, are the, what is the trigger that is going to motivate them to actually make a purchase or take an action? And so we, we dug into a lot of neuroscience and behavioral economics to try and figure out how the brain works. And it turns out the dumb, dumb part of our brain is called the limbic system. It's the part of our brain that measures uh, or, or excretes emotions, it's where a lot of our decisions are made, it's our base instincts. Um, that part of our brain really drives all of our decisions. So we said, well, how, how does that brain work? Well, it works very quickly, as a for example. So one of the, uh, versus the logic brain, the frontal lobe up here, works very slowly. There's a guy named Daniel Kahneman who won a Nobel Prize for figuring that out. So all we did was. So it wasn't you that figured that. <clears throat> I do not have a Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, but you know, we 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 took that information and said, all right, well, if we can measure uh, how someone thinks, how quickly they think, then that may be something that can help get us closer to understanding motivation. So we built a system that measures in milliseconds how fast people read, respond, change their answers, all these things. And we have a metadata system behind that. And um, we can now pretty accurately identify when the emotive brain is activating, which is what we call a raw visceral emotion, uh, which in a sales environment or a marketing environment, that's what you want. You don't want someone to think about it. If someone thinks about it, you're losing. Um, like you specifically don't want to hear those words in sales, right? I got to think about it. That's what you don't want to happen. Right. So we always say the brain is the second laziest organ in the body. I was going to say, I feel like we need like a, a diagram of the brain <laughs> while you're talking. So no. that there's little arrows that go, this part. That's this really part. Yeah, it would be really helpful, I think, to your presentation. Though. Well, actually, I brought one. Oh, great. <laughs> um, so all of that to say... You're trying to interpret how people are going to behave based on how they feel about certain things or items or ideas, right? So as much as you love to believe that you use logic and reason when you make purchasing decisions, you physiologically cannot, actually. It's all emotive. So we said, well, the problem that we would like to solve is Let's understand people in a way that's easy and scalable to help sales and marketing communicate more effectively um, and make more money. That's okay. what we did. How did that tie back to the M&A world? Like, are we, were you using it specifically? Was it trying to assess 
integration? Was it trying to assess future revenue cycles? Or was it like this was the side thing that you figured out and then it took you a different direction? The, on the M&A side, it didn't work out quite as well as we thought. It was a little bit like a strikeout. <laughs> and uh, the reason was because the due diligence process in, in mergers and acquisitions is very fast, very controlled. There's a lot of moving parts and it's not, it wasn't easy to inject ourselves into that. Um, but we still do it. It's still a, a pretty substantial part of our business today where there are private equity groups or that do roll-ups or they buy you know, entities, buy other entities. And our job is to go and assess those entities so that the acquiring entity knows this is who these customers are. These are the valuable employees that have customer contact that you absolutely need to keep. Um, this is how they, how their customers think. And if you disrupt maybe some of the processes that are in place, you're going to regret it or they don't care about the processes. You can throw them away and, 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 and do whatever you want. So it helps them not only understand the customer, but it helps them understand in this integration plan, we bring these two businesses together. What efficiencies can we create that isn't going to result in attrition of customers? Interesting. It's so kind of nerdy. It is nerdy, but I like nerdy, so that works. Yeah. Um, so what, what is it that, how did you develop an audience? Like, how did you make this a, a business idea in and of itself? Like, how did you find your own clients when you started? Well, it started, it turned into it on accident. Uh, so when, when we, we were targeting private equity groups and we were targeting um, larger businesses that were, that were, in currently engaging with MA and, and other partners that are in that process, like brokers and, and analysts and um, uh, CPA firms and things like that. And while we weren't very successful in getting into that due diligence process, which is the entire hypothesis of the business, what did end up happening is after the transaction would happen, the buyers, who sometimes we were exposed to the buyers and sellers, the buyers in particular would say, hey, this isn't what we thought it was, which is very, very common when you buy a company. Um, you think it's one thing and you turn out there's a lot of assumptions that you made that were incorrect. Hey, this isn't quite what we thought. Can you still go do that thing and help us figure, help us figure this out? And so that happened enough times that we went, well, maybe this is a, maybe this is something that is a generally, you know, it has general use in the, in the business world and it's not an M&A product. And so we sort of pivoted into that space. Then we tried to build an agency because clients were handing us money saying, you know our clients better than anybody. Yeah, go talk to them. Go spend, we right. go spend our money and do, and so we built an agency, which was a terrible strikeout because we sucked at it. <laughs> Who's we? You keep saying we. Like well, you as your team and yeah. like that. So what was so bad about being an agency? It just wasn't what you wanted to it. do? Or? We didn't know anything about it and weren't good at it. And as an agency, you got to be good at lots of things. I wanted to be good at one thing. So actually, not even that long ago, four years ago, we completely started the business over. Interesting. So yeah. what challenges did you have when you did that? Is there something specific that yeah. you didn't expect? Or Yeah, we laid off all of our employees and, and you know, canceled our lease and went from you know, 13 people down to three and started over, assumed a lot of debt, the scariest damn thing ever. 
That sounds terrifying. How did you, but you felt confident that you were doing the right thing. Kind of. Or mostly confident. Confident I was enough. Business, people don't understand, business is the hardest thing, right? Sure. Bringing, bringing value to the market and convincing people to pay you money is unbelievably hard. And unless you're in sales and things, you have no idea how hard it is. Shouldn't it have been incredibly easy for you because you could just analyze what your buyers were really feeling and then you could just talk to that same thing? I mean, mm. shouldn't you of all people be like the expert at finding that? And maybe I'm a cobbler with uh, children or has children with no shoes. Yeah, yeah. We equate it to performing surgery on yourself. I, I think every business has trouble doing what they do well for themselves. Right. You know, you're always your, it's just like, is an individual taking care of yourself. You take care of everybody else first, you know? One of the things that all businesses and human beings need that they don't have is perspective. So as a successful business owner, how do you keep perspective? What's your, what do you do? How do you, what gives you perspective? Hang you out with smart people. In business settings or non-business settings? All settings. Okay. There's no way you know, right? Only other people know the color of the paint on the outside of the building. You know the inside because that's all you see. Hang around with smart people and let them beat you up. Do you think there's a specific characteristic or value that you have that makes you uniquely suited to solve the problem that you're trying to solve? So my initial thought to the answer to that question is uh, that I'm contrarian. Okay. I like to do the opposite and see what happens. And so um, that is, I think, always a good mindset to go into solving any problem. Uh, if it was an easy problem to solve, I probably won't be in the room anyway. So I like to look at what are people doing currently and what if the opposite of that thing is true? And it forces your mind to kind of start questioning things that you maybe normally wouldn't question. And we break those things into pieces and then try and test them. So give me an example of how your contrarian personality has solved a problem or has been in a room and evaluated something differently and that worked to your advantage? So many times we'll be in a situation where an organization is in a, what they would consider to be a commoditized environment, right? Okay. Where many competitors have similar products or similar services, price points are similar. Uh, and so they, so typically you have to win by hard work. Right? You just grind, 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 and, and, that, and that will pay off. And so we might be brought in to help dissect or figure out what's motivating a customer just to help those people that are grinding, whether they're on the sales or marketing side, uh, be more successful. Well, I may say, all right, well, if everybody's doing the exact same thing, what's the opposite of that thing? If they're out hustling and they're making phone calls trying to be proactive, what if we look at that from the opposite position and see if there might be something that everyone's missing that we could take advantage of. So for instance, um, 
we worked with this client that dealt a lot with the military and federal government. So they, uh, the way that you sell into that space was through um, dealing with, it's very hierarchical, right? So dealing with the boss, go and sell to the boss and, and uh, this is, uh, was a software product. And we studied the, we studied the, the market, the competitive landscape, and then also the decision makers. And we actually found there was much stronger emotional resonance with the end users of the product than the decision makers. Well, all of the competitors uh, across the world, really, um, were all whining and dining the high up military officials trying to get these contracts. And we said, actually, what you should do is do the opposite. We see that we have strong emotive resonance with the end users of this particular software product. And we said, uh, there are, let's see if something I can't say, uh, there are certain people that you should have go sell to them. <clears throat> so go hire these people as your sales force, but it's a consultative sale, have them go in and, and sell from the bottom up. Uh, now, part of that engagement was to help that organization figure out a few complex things, but that was something that we kind of just saw, hey, you should try selling this not to the, the higher ups, you should sell it at the bottom and let that organically work for you. Years later, um, uh, we did another project for that company. It had been probably six or seven years. And uh, I asked them in the initial meeting, I said, what's the most valuable thing that we did for you last time? And he said, I didn't expect it, but the most valuable thing is when you changed how we sold. And we took your advice and we went and we sold from the bottom up and they jumped from fourth or fifth place to second place in the world and ended up selling. And it was a very, it was a very good situation for them. So with all of your superpowers and the things that you've done up to this point, what are you planning to do next year? Do you have big goals for 2023 or do you have something you want to get done that you're going to tackle next? Yes, uh, scale, which is hard, um, but we have invested a lot in software and processes and systems and business development models and now you scale. Have you had a challenge? You know, what, what challenges are you having with scale? Is there something specific that you're... Yeah, so uh, because we aren't measuring behavior, we're measuring attitude. Attitude changes surprisingly less than behavior does. So oh, I think it would be just the opposite. Yeah, you kind of would. Uh, you would, but it doesn't. Here's the reason why. Um, your who you are essentially is set somewhere between the ages of twelve and fourteen, and that kind of is you. Introverts do not become extroverts, right? Um, you either like dealing with people or you don't like dealing with people. And so if I'm analyzing an audience of a particular customer base and 80% of that customer base is an intro are introverts, th there's a high probability that there's something about that relationship that is attractive to someone that maybe doesn't want to do, doesn't want to have a lot of interpersonal conversations. A competitor could be the absolute opposite, right? And it's because of the personality of the business that attracts those different kinds of, of customers. As we start to wrap things up, I have a couple of more questions for you. Uh, what 
we've been talking about your successes, right? Mm. And we talked a little bit about your strikeout. What, what is your most memorable loss? Starting over in 2017. It was August 23rd. Wow. So memorable. It's date. extremely painful, <laughs> yeah. right? You have a whole company and the whole thing goes away and you say, I'm going to start over. And you literally go from, I think we were doing about, we were small, but $2 million in revenue down to $147,000 in revenue. Your whole staff is gone. You start literally start over. Yeah. And I think it's hard, right, as an entrepreneur to be able to have a unbiased or detached business. I mean, and you would say it's emotional anyway, but, but sort of an undetached relationship with that business to be able to go, okay, this one's done and now I'm going to do this other one. I'm sure that was really challenging. I give credit. I give credit to Courtney on our team. I asked her, I said, can you go and find out who our best customers are and figure out a KPI on how to measure that? She said, it's, it's our clients that only do research with us. And I think I said, I mean, I fully expected you to go, I don't know, do something like get in a computer or like <laughs> look at a folder or something. She just knew. And we said, do we just start over? We said, yeah, so we did it. Okay, Grant, last question. Um, you have kids, there are young people you're mentoring in your life. If you could synthesize all of the things that you've learned through your journey, what one nugget of advice would you pass along? I, I would say that human beings always buy from human beings, regardless of what it is you're selling. Even, even when you're selling something where you don't believe that a human being is involved, there always is. So be good at people. Understand people. If you don't understand people, you don't know much. Wow. That's really good. I am impressed that you came up with that on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being a part of our podcast. I can't imagine a better way to end it. So I appreciate you being here. Hey, thanks, Jimmy. Mm -hmm.